Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. My darlings, you are in for a treat. This episode is an excerpt of a two and a half hour long conversation I had with the fantastic astrologer, Chris Brennan of The Astrology Podcast. Uh, And it's all about the Mercury shadow. And we're still very much in it, Le Retro Shade. If you want to hear this whole podcast, you can listen to it wherever podcasts are heard or even better yet, go to the YouTube channel of The Astrology Podcast and watch it there because we have visuals. You might want to watch along. Enjoy. We need to talk about the shadow. Yeah. Because the people need to know. Oh, is that like a separate topic? Is that, should we do that separate? Uh, No, we should do it. This is a perfect time to do it. I think Um, it's perfect. I think it was Lisa Stardust who popularized it. Maybe she didn't create it. Maybe I just learned it from her, but the term retro shade which I like so much better than I've only shadow. heard this, I've been hearing this for the first time over the past few days, and I saw you use it. I saw one other person on Twitter mention it, and I really like it. So it's, it's great. retro shade. Retro shade. It's perfect. Okay. I mean, listen, nothing, nothing. And I'm not a grammar police person, you know, but nothing bothers me more than someone saying Mercury is in retrograde. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to read it. It is the most annoying grammatical error. And it is so Mercury retrograde to have such a basic grammatical error be so popularized. So to me, retro shade is like the opposite of that. It's like a a really fun wordplay situation that actually means something and is accurate, you know? So uh, down with Mercury in retrograde, up with the retro shade. Okay. So always say, um, don't say in retrograde, just say Mercury is retrograde or Mercury is direct, which is what it is when it's not retrograde. Yes. So um, shadow periods. So we talked about the it's like there's three phases in the Mercury retrograde cycle itself, but if you break it down, there's actually something more like five phases. Mercury goes retrograde when it does the first U-turn, and it turns from moving direct to moving retrograde and moving backwards. And that period of Mercury moving backwards for three weeks is the Mercury retrograde itself. And eventually that ends when Mercury does another U-turn, it stations direct and begins moving forward again. But starting in the, I believe it was in the 1980s, I tried to research this at one point, and what I was able to figure out and what most of the older astrologers told me is that the first astrologer who coined the phrase was an astrologer named Roxana Muse, um, started talking about and coined this concept of the shadow period, which is the period leading up to the retrograde, which is like the pre-Mercury retrograde shadow period where it starts moving through the degrees that it will later come back to later during the course of the retrograde is the beginning of the shadow period. And then once Mercury stations direct, there's a period of time after it stations direct where it's coming out of the retrograde and it's still retracing the steps until it leaves the point that it eventually that it originally went retrograde at. And that's the post-retrograde shadow period. Is that roughly have I that sounds really complicated. I'm not sure if I'm like mangling that. No, I don't think you are at all. The way I always think of it, which I feel like you're more technical than me, so you know, tell me if I'm wrong. But Mercury, when it's in its retro shade, it's pre-retrograde retro shade, 
what it's doing is it's slowing down. You start to see evidence of its movement being less giddy up oriented. And then it goes retrograde where it appears to be moving backwards. It moves backwards through the zodiacal degrees. And then when it hits its post retro shade, basically it's retracing its steps through the zodiacal degrees. And so the retro shade is over when it moves beyond the degree it was when the retrograde began. Yes, exactly. Okay. I like okay. that. That's perfect. And Thank you very much. To visualize this, even though this is becoming a lost concept, unfortunately, but there's this thing that astrologers used to use called an ephemeris. Uh, uh, Squeeze me. People don't use the ephemeris anymore. Can I just say for the record and never leave home without it? I have, a re I have an ephemeris in almost every room of my home. Every room? I'm, yeah, because you never know when you're going to need one and you just need to start reaching. I and... need one all the time. Get an ephemeris. The internet does not give you everything. Buy books, guys. Books Sorry. from like a, a bookstore, which for some of our younger listeners, unfortunately, <laughs> we have to define as well, which is like a, a place that you go to where you can purchase books in yeah. physical format. This is very Mercury, though. Do you mark your ephemeris? Or are you in no mark? Uh, no astrology? marks. No marks. No okay. marks in my ephemeris. My ephemeris is like no, 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 never. I would, I, I would never. Okay. Sacrosanct. Thank you for that word. Yes, never. I have pieces of paper in my ephemeris that I've written on and I've stuck in there, but I wouldn't okay. write on the ephemeris. So, Do you write in your ephemeris? I mean, yeah, I don't want to admit that now, but yeah. But <laughs> the positive thing about it is now I have, like, going back 20 years now, I have like old ephemerises where I was like, and then I'm going to have this transit of Pluto in the year 2020. And it's really funny and interesting to see what I was looking forward to or what I was like having um, trepidation about, you know, much earlier in my studies. And it's sometimes just a good way to like go through and see, you know, here's a like an image, for example, of an ephemeris. And this is digital, but some of my ephemerises will kind of look like this where I'll take a highlighter and highlight certain oh. dates. Yeah. I mean, there's different ways to do it. And it's a little easier sometimes if you're doing like if you go to astro.com, you can get a printable ephemeris for a year. And so you can mark that up or print it out and mark it up and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, but there's different mm -hmm. ways to do it. One way you can do it is by like highlighting ones where it's hitting something important in your chart. Uh, by degrees. So just you know, like that degree range is important. Another one, what I'm sort of demonstrating here is more just using an ephemeris to identify the shadow periods. Mm, so yes. if we look at look at an ephemeris here, we see that in October of 2020, um, on around the 14th, 13th, 14th of October, uh, Mercury in it, the Mercury column turned retrograde and it turned retrograde at 11 degrees of Scorpio. Then for the next three weeks, it moved backwards. So instead of moving forward through the degrees like 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 Scorpio, it started moving downwards. So it went from 11 degrees to 9 degrees to 8 degrees to 7 degrees of Scorpio. Eventually it goes back into Libra and then eventually it stations direct three weeks later around the 3rd of November at 25 degrees of Libra. So that gives us two sensitive degrees. One of them is where the degree that Mercury stationed retrograde at at 11 Scorpio. The other sensitive degree is the one that it stations direct at at 25 Libra. So I notice you're saying 25 degrees, but it's 25 degrees and 55 minutes. I personally would call the 26th degree. Do you call it a 25? I would even say that at 1140, where it, when it went retrograde, 
Mm -hmm. I 40 is right around where I start to round up, not consistently. I'm a little inconsistent about that, but I'm curious about how you engage with that. You called it 25. Was that an accident or is that actually how you see it? Um, I mean, there's a difference between like cardinal or like ordinal numbers or something like that, which I often mix up. So I usually do just say 25 in this instance, like since it's at 25 Libra, but you're right that it's basically. 26 because it's 2555 so it's basically 26 degrees or yeah. you could say the 26 degree yeah yeah that's right i mean and i think i'm really glad that to pick this apart with you because i think it's really important for people to hear that both of us are very competent and experienced astrologers and there's different ways of doing it right. and also there's like an evolution of our own process as practitioners right of like how we even engage with something as fundamental as notating a degree right this is why astrology is like the divine navel it takes well because because everybody's away. like self-taught and sometimes you're like using the same materials but you're sitting with them for years on your own and sometimes people develop funny idiosyncrasies just due to that like i remember the first time i met an astrologer was a few years into my study and i was in like casual conversation very excited to meet this guy at a metaphysical bookstore in denver and i started talking about my Chiron placement, which I referred to as Chiron. And he like stopped the conversation. He was like, hold on a second. What did you just say? And that was my first time like meeting another astrologer. So sometimes that happens when you meet with other astrologers, but that's why it's good because sometimes it's um there's this give and take that happens. And I think that's always been the case historically. Like if you go back a thousand years, anytime you put two astrologers in the same room together, they start talking and sharing techniques and you can see it influence the history of astrology as soon as different astrologers from different places interact. Yeah, absolutely. To that end, we are having such a meta time because we're talking about Mercury, which is talking about talking and talking mm. about ideas and talking about ideas of Mercury, which is just, it's like part of my brain is just like, are you noticing this? Because it's just so meta. The other right. thing is when I was first taught astrology, mm. I was taught by a Jungian uh, astrologer who was actually, I'd learned at a college level um, in the mid 1990s or the early 1990s, I guess it was. In uh, in Montreal, Quebec, I went to a place called New School, which was part of Dawson College. This teacher taught Jungian psychology. And then he was also an astrologer, like privately. So in the New mm. School where I went, he taught astrology from a Jungian perspective. And that was my first formal study. And I was like, I don't know, 17, 18 when I first started learning. But what he taught me, this is on topic for Mercury, I promise, was that there's power in the symbols and that learning how to write with a pen or a pencil, the symbols was part of the magic of astrology. And so what I learned to do instead of the highlighting of the ephemeris, because of course he was a Capricorn with the Scorpio rising. So he was like this deep, intense, penetrative, like these are the rules, follow the rules. And I loved it. Um, is I write out my transits and I, you can see I have highlighter and all that kind of crap. Um, I write out my transits and all of the dates of them and whatever notes I need to on paper in part because I was trained with this idea that the very process of writing a, like astrological statements mm -hmm. is is a, it's it's an energetic power. It's like a way of engaging with astrology. It's like a, the spiritual side of Mercury, you know. And yeah. so I would also say to you know people who are like I can't afford to buy Fenimores or I don't like books, writing things out, having a, a like a place that is dedicated for you to write out your transits, your natal aspects, your astrological musings, I think is is a form of kind of like almost 
it's kind of like the wrong word for it, but prayer to astrology. It's like bringing energy and attention to astrology, which is very mercurial, you know, process, but it's worth saying since we're talking about this stuff. Yeah, totally. Because it also, you've got to use, you got to learn how to write your glyphs. And yes. that in and of itself is like bringing material form to the language of astrology by like learning out how to write the language of, you know, Mercury, Trine, Neptune, and then writing down the date or what have you. That's yes. super, super crucial. It is crucial. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times when people are learning off of like the internet blog posts, you know, meme astrology, all this kind of stuff, when you lose the layer of being able to read the language and write the language, you are losing out on comprehension. And Mercury teaches us that is true, that there are many layers of comprehension and being able to like to, to read and speak in a language is, is one, you know, I can speak certain languages a little bit, but I can't necessarily read them. And that shows in how I, how I speak in them, you know? And so I think that this is, this is true with astrology as well, which is kind of to your point about us being translators, right? We have to be able to have a comprehensive understanding of the language in order to effectively translate what we're perceiving, what we're learning. Yeah, totally. So everybody, that's a good recommendation. I always forget that. But that's what I did first was I learned how to write the glyphs, and that was always one of my first steps. But people do sometimes. I have met people that you know five years into their study don't know how to do that and don't realize it's like a thing. So everybody listening should definitely, like square one, learn how to write the glyphs. Yes, absolutely. When I taught astrology, when I, I had beginner classes, I mean, I'm no fun as a teacher. I'm just like, you didn't study, you didn't do your homework, go home. Like I was just <laughs> such an asshole about it because that's how I was taught, you know. And again, I was taught solar fire existed, um, computers existed. I didn't have access to computers, like it wasn't a thing. So I learned astrology. I learned how to to do the math, to cast a chart. And right. you can imagine with my Mercury how long that took me and how many errors I made. It was awful. Learning how to do manual calculations, I believe in it. And I don't believe in doing it, <laughs> to be clear. It's a stupid waste of time. But I right. do believe in learning it because it grounds you in what astrology actually is. Mm -hmm. You know, understanding that it's not just pressing buttons and going to astro.com and having someone tell you the math. It's knowing, knowing the steps, I think, is a really valuable I, I take issue when people kind of are like, I value astrology. I learn from astrology. I center astrology, but I don't want to learn the basics. Um, I feel, I feel like that's like, well, then how much do you really respect it? It's a craft. It's, it's like an ancient craft. It deserves some measure of respect. So I know I sound like a poster child for Capricorns. So sure. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Right. Slash also, I, like I am it. what I am. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I like yeah. it. But uh, yeah, you. like a baseline of that of learning the astronomy, even if you don't go all the way and like calculating charts on your own um, yes. or observing the astronomy like outside each night in order to calculate the chart or whatever is just getting some basic familiarity with the ephemeris. And that's one of the easiest ways to identify the retrograde periods and to identify the shadow periods. The Okra Project is a collective that aims to mitigate food insecurity in the Black trans community. The project hires Black trans chefs to come to the homes of Black trans people or community centers if they're currently experiencing homelessness to cook healthy, culturally relevant, and delicious meals. They feed bellies with great food and feed spirits with great fellowship. The Okra Project intentionally has never sought 501c3 status so they can ensure that their money goes where it's needed. Therefore, their work is maintained entirely through individual donations from people like you, and everything helps. 
Learn more about their programming by visiting theokraproject.com or donate, and the link is in my show notes. Mercury stations at, let's say, 11 degrees of Scorpio goes retrograde in October, and then it stations direct at 25 Libra in November. So those two degrees are important sensitive degrees that we apply to the shadow periods because what the shadow period is, is if we back up to September, like late September around the 23rd, as soon as Mercury hits uh, 25 degrees of Libra the first time, that's when the shadow period starts because that's the degree that Mercury will later retrograde or return back to when it stations direct in November. Um, so that's why the shadow period begins at that point because at, from that point forward, Mercury is moving through degrees and moving through parts of the zodiac that it's later going to return back to. So it starts like opening up usually like a series of events or a set of circumstances that even though it may not seem like it at the time, it seems like you you do something during that time and it's done and you move forward. Several weeks later, you sometimes find yourself coming back to that thing, just like Mercury itself returns back to those degrees of the zodiac weeks later. Yeah, agree button. Agree, agree, agree. Okay, so yeah. that's the pre-retrograde shadow period, and then the post-retrograde shadow period is that we can see Mercury stationing direct and starting to move forward again in early November, starting at 25 degrees of Libra. And then it's moving forward from late Libra into early Scorpio all the way until about November 19th or so when it hits 10 or 11 degrees of Scorpio. That was the degree that it originally stationed retrograde at. So once it reaches back to that degree it's stationed at, from that point forward, it's going to start moving through degrees that it never got to. And that's why it's the end of the shadow period, because it's not really sometimes until you get to that point that the whole situation is fully wrapped up and there's like a nice little bow on it, but sometimes there's still like cleanup that that continues to linger through the shadow period after that point. Do you is that kind of how you interpret it as well? Or is absolutely that, I'm absolutely sure yeah. The 25th degree of Libra, that that mm -hmm. moment uh in the first time in the, the retro shade pre, Mercury formed a square to Mars, which was retrograde uh in Aries. And what's happening the next time it happens, what was that, the fourth of November? is Mercury will be forming a square to uh, Saturn. Mm. Couple of yeah. couple of duty dude dudes, you know, like such like kind of masculine archetypey, although I have an argument for for these planets not having masculine archetypes, which is for another conversation. But to see Mercury squaring, I'm sorry, opposing, this opposing, Mercury opposing Mars and then Mercury squaring Saturn, to me, that is worth noting because, again, we're not just seeing these things existing in a bubble. We need to understand that it might have felt like something at that first retroshade moment, that that uh, September day of the 22nd, that it might felt like something happened that was kind of like sudden or surprising or just how you dealt with anger, how you expressed frustration and then there's going to be consequences because it's Saturn. <laughs> you know, when we look at the November 4th, we're going to deal with consequences. So, you know, when we think about the election, I'm like, damn, we should have we should have really looked at what was going on politically and socially, even in the president's Twitter feed on and around the 22nd of September to see some sort of consequence come the 4th of November, which is a really pr particularly important date, of course, in U.S. politics. Right. So here's the chart for those watching the video version where 
Mercury here, it's direct. It's not retrograde yet. It's But once it gets to 24, 25 degrees of Libra, we know from looking at the ephemeris that that's the degree it's later going to retrograde back to. So it's going to come all the way back to this degree several weeks later. So if we keep animating it and moving the chart forward by days, we see Mercury move into Scorpio. Um, and then in early October, it starts slowing down. So it starts moving slower than it usually does. And all of a sudden, it stops at this certain degree, which is 11 degrees of Scorpio, or the 12th degree of Scorpio, as Jessica would say, right? 12th degree? Mm -hmm. is that yeah, correct? I would. Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah. So 11 yeah. degrees of Scorpio or 12th degree of Scorpio. And it stops at that degree. And that's one of the things that's really important that's maybe worth emphasizing of why retrogrades, especially stations, are important is usually Mercury, you know, it, it moves at like a degree or two a day. So usually it, it hits a spot in the zodiac or a degree of the zodiac and it just keeps moving and it's only there for like a day tops. But what happens during a retrograde is Mercury slows down and then it just sits at that degree for several days, basically, or almost like a week, basically, just sitting there at 11 degrees of Scorpio, right? Mm, yep. Yeah. Another interesting thing about retrogrades that are really important is that when we have a retrograde that means we'll often have multiple transits between mercury and any given planet usually an outer planet hit multiple times in a short period which is unusual with the planet mercury mercury has to be retrograde for that to occur ditto for venus and mars so that's another thing to really watch out for it doesn't happen in every retrograde but it certainly i think it, it has happened in this one or it will have happened in this one eh yeah that's a really good point so that's mm -hmm. one of our ways of characterizing what the retrograde is going to be about is a or number one what sign of the zodiac is it taking place in so in this instance it's taking place in scorpio but that's going to be different qualitatively than you know for example there was a retrograde in pisces earlier this year um but then second what planets are configured to Mercury, especially when it stations retrograde and is just sitting at that degree, mm -hmm. um, especially outer planets seem to be really important in characterizing, as you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then also it sets it up so it's not just in this instance, for example, it's opposing Uranus, which is at nine degrees of Taurus when it stations there at 11 degrees of Scorpio. So it's holding that opposition mm -hmm. for like a, quite a while. Which is something Mercury doesn't normally do. Its aspects yeah. are otherwise usually very quick. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a really, really important transit. Mercury opposite uh, to Uranus has already occurred. I think on Oct October the nineteenth, it happens the fifteenth, and then it'll happen again on the or it happened again on the nineteenth. I'm believing. So the first one was October seventh. So mm -hmm. that's when it first opposed at like nine degrees of Scorpio to nine degrees of Taurus while it was still direct. And then let's see, it stations retrograde in like October thirteenth, and it goes back to nine Scorpio and opposes Uranus again around 19th, the yeah the nineteenth. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay, and then it's going to happen one more time. I think we get another hit. Yeah. So after Mercury stations direct in yeah. Libra, it eventually comes back into Scorpio, and then it opposes Uranus. A third time here, it looks like November 16th ish. 16th. Okay, there it is. So, this is where, you know, and this is something with the current Mars retrograde, which is a different topic, but that's something that I've is a very important part of this Mars retrograde as well. 
you know, this Mercury opposition to Uranus, there's like the social implications and then the personal implications, but they're both a little chaotic. And I think that the the kind of component of Uranus as associated with individualism and uh, Mercury is also can be quite individualistic. It's much more relational than Uranus is, but it's always like my ideas, my attitudes, what I think, what I say. And I think this opposition is, you know, we're seeing so much tension in the world around like, this is who I want to vote for. This is what I think. I don't want to talk about politics, like all of this kind of stuff. It's very activated. I also think Mercury opposite to Uranus is really good for hackers and people who want to push propaganda and people who like chaos, because this is a transit that creates a lot of chaos and anxiety because Mercury and Uranus are both related to our nervous system in different ways and our thought processes. And so it speeds things up in such a way that it's hard to keep track and anyone with any kind of hypertension, anxiety disorder, um, ADD stuff is more likely to be kind of, it's, it can get stimulated through these transits unless of course it hits your chart in a way where it makes everyone else speed up. So you're like, oh, I'm calm now. Now I'm now I'm normal because everyone else is caught up with me. So it can right. kind of go either way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good point for people listening to this, like after, let's say, November in the future. Cause I think this is going to be like my main Mercury retrograde episode from now on. Just that um there's a f- whole range of significations that we mentioned at the beginning for what Mercury retrogrades can coincide with. Or maybe we just mentioned the significations and we didn't actually talk about what Mercury We didn't, but we but we will. Okay. 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 So we (laughs) got into the astronomy and we forgot to define it. But let's say there's a range of significations that Mercury retrograde can coincide with, but sometimes it gets narrowed down and there's more specific ones that tend to manifest when it's configured to certain planets when it stations retrograde. So this one is primarily characterized by Mercury opposite Uranus. And so therefore we take more of those Mercury Uranus significations that have to do with like technology, unexpected things coming up. Um, since it's Mercury retrograde in Scorpio, it's like unexpected disclosures potentially, or potentially attempting to like manipulate things with disclosures, more issues with technology. I've seen this retrograde already being much more about the technological end that people sometimes talk about in Mercury retrogrades, but it's not always that emphasized, but this one, it definitely is, I think, due to that opposition with Uranus. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Also, let's not skip over, so Mercury and Scorpio. Mm -hmm. Scorpio is associated with shame, and it does move into Libra, as we know, and Libra is a very relational, peace-seeking sign. And I think it's really important for us to also acknowledge that, and this kind of gets into like, what is a retrograde on a kind of experiential level? And what is a Mercury retrograde? Retrogrades want us, I, I always say the rule of re's, review, reassess, uh, reaffirm, recalibrate. You know, it's, it's about reflecting back. And in order to really have consistent progress, we need to look back at what we've done, what isn't working, what is working, and kind of let the wisdom of time inform us. And I think that when we're looking at a retrograde in the sign of Scorpio and Libra, especially in the context of what's happening globally and certainly domestically, we all need to look at things that we have shame around. You know, uh, when we talk about the kind of ills and ills of the world, we are all complicit in them. We are all a part of it. We are all the benefactors of various things that are problematic. 
And it stirs up shame and it stirs up resentments and it stirs up anger. And it's all very Scorpio stuff. I think that, you know, we're already seeing it and I, I expect us to see it throughout the retrograde that this is a period where individual people are reflecting back on things that are hard to sit with, hard to acknowledge and figuring out what their story is, you know, and, and I think that the, the psychological implications of that don't just stop with the individual psyche because society and community is made out of many individuals. And so how we relate to calling each other in versus calling each other out, how we relate to making space for difference and for individual learning curves, how we step into humility, all of these things I think are a part of this particular Mercury retrograde in these signs in the context of the larger astrology and societal trends. Every year they say the end is near, but we're still here, yeah, we're still here.